From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Colorado's long been an aerospace hub, but lately it's been about a niche part of space. Something called space resources, which so much fits the history of Colorado. This is a state that was founded on resources. People came here in the thousands for gold and silver, and then later on, all sorts of minerals and metals. Oh, this Uh, is a new gold rush. It's a new gold rush, (laughs) but not here on Earth. It's in space. Colorado's indeed becoming an epicenter for what you might call space mining. But given the tremendous overhead, overhead, is this a fool's gold rush? Where are the investors? Where's the profit, the workforce? I'll put those questions to the head of space resources at the School of Mines. And we meet a wannabe asteroid miner. You listen because you want to understand the issues that impact us all. Because of careful, fair, and thorough reporting, you know more about your state. Your financial support helps make that possible. Start giving at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Aerospace is huge in Colorado, but increasingly it's little firms that make up the industry. Startups looking to dig into lunar soil or mine asteroids. The hopes are high, but so are the risks. Coming up, I'll speak with a professor of space mining who likens this to a new gold rush. First, that asteroid mining company, Carmen Plus. It recently got a $1.3 million incentive from the state to bring 150 jobs here over the next eight years. Its co-founder is Danan Kroll. Danan, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on. Of all that could be mined in space, why asteroids? Are they like little gas stations? That's one concept. If you think about gas in the terms that you would for uh, rocket fuel, you know, liquid oxygen, for example, gas in that sense is water. And water is quite prevalent in our universe and certainly in our solar system. And we believe it's prevalent in asteroids as well. But why asteroids? Well, we think the scale really is the bigger driver here. There's quite a lot of them. The analogy I've used is if you're thinking about resources, you can look at something like the moon, for example, as a school of fish right off the shore. It's fairly easy to visualize. Whereas we're looking at the vast open ocean and saying, we believe there's vast amounts of fish out there, but it's going to take some work to get out there. But we believe that the scale of it is is pretty vast. Okay, a few things to unpack there. These Mm -hmm. asteroids, you say, contain water, and oxygen is an element of water. So oxygen would fuel a spacecraft, potentially? Potentially. There's a number of different things we're looking at. Water's among them. We're also looking at other materials. Clay is interesting because it could be used to make materials like spacecraft components. Mm. Uh, Ceramics is something that's interesting there. But yeah, well, water's heavy. Particularly, uh, oxygen atoms are are heavier, certainly, than hydrogen. And if you are taking a bunch of oxygen to space on a rocket ship, that's a lot of mass that you need to carry there. And so if you have to bring your own fuel from the surface of the Earth, including heavy oxygen, you're spending a lot of energy just getting the fuel itself up there. So there's been a lot of discussion around way stations or gas stations, and there are certainly companies looking into that, NASA as well. Once you start thinking of that, you think, well, what about the possibility of finding such resources that aren't from the Earth, that are actually out there already in these asteroids, 
It'll take some work to find them, to extract these resources and to bring them back. But the energy usage, for example, could be far lower than that would be required to uh, to do that every time from the surface. That's right. In other words, it is easier to find gas than to bring it with you every time you leave Earth. Okay, you described the moon as being like, well, uh, to take your analogy a little further, almost like fish in a barrel. Why not just do this on the moon? Why aim for these asteroids, which you sound much less sure about? There's a lot we don't know. But what we have seen, and a lot of this is gathered from remote observations, telescopes here on Earth and in space, as well as we've now gotten samples back. Uh, I'm happy to talk more about that exciting stuff from Japanese space agency in in the U.S. We believe that there is a a real abundance of materials that are in these asteroids and that a lot of the material, you know, the metals and some of the composite elements that people are interested on the moon, in fact, may have arrived there from asteroid impacts, from meteorites. Uh, same as Earth, right? There's a pretty strong theory that the things that we're digging up in the Earth arrived here via asteroid. In the near-Earth area itself, there may be hundreds of millions of asteroids. We believe that going out and finding more of this and, and collecting resources from it because of the scale will eventually be something that really opens a lot of doors. Well, that was my next question, because you're a for-profit company. This presumably needs to be lucrative for you. It sounds to me like the cost of entry of not re-entry, but the cost of entry is just exorbitant and that the payoff would have to be huge. I mean, unless you plan on bilking the federal government for massive, inefficient contracts. No, that's certainly not our approach. And yeah, it's a high capital ratio. There's a lot of investment you have to put into developing technologies, spacecraft, finding and learning about these objects. I think there is a paradigm shift, though. There are factors that are bringing the costs under control, and launch costs are one of them. As the world has seen, more and more launch opportunities are are coming online, but there are a lot of other things that are less easy to see, and that is a lot of companies developing spacecraft components, technologies related to software, to anything related to the operations of, of spacecraft. As that grows, this ecosystem of people and companies building things makes it much more achievable that you can actually think about building and developing spacecraft far cheaper than you could before. This is huh. this is not the last generation space age where giant national projects were the only way you could do this. Our thesis is that it, it can be done at a lower cost than people thought imaginable. What precisely is Carmen Plus's role? So are you going to be building this system? Is it yours to prove that it's lucrative and then contract out for someone else to design and launch? It's a very good question. And I think like a lot of young companies, that's evolving. But one thing is pretty clear, and that is, as we look at the architecture for what this takes, what I mean by that is thinking about things like reducing the cost per kilogram to bring material from an asteroid to, let's say, a, a stationary orbit, uh, near rectilinear halo orbit or something like that. Uh, well, well, that that, that was a lot for me to absorb. I don't know what all that is, but I'm assuming that means bringing it from the asteroid to some central place for processing. Yeah, let's say that. That's a great way to put it. So doing that is a choice that we're making as opposed to bringing it to Earth, for example, or processing it at the asteroid and then then, uh, finding ways to deliver it there. Well, what are the technologies we need? Well, certainly spacecraft and hardware and software that goes with it is part of that. A good deal of that we may outsource. And there are companies that are doing great things with certain parts of the technology that just doesn't make sense for us to reinvent. 
But there are components and, and certainly the technology needed for capturing the sample or finding the material at the asteroid, uh, that's technology that we need to develop in-house and we are. And so if we are successful, we believe, at least in this short-term phase of work, we've been able to identify some small bodies that have meaningful resources and have demonstrated a an ability to bring them back in a way that we think can, we can continue to lower that cost and go from uh, maybe many millions of dollars per kilogram or even billions of dollars per kilogram if you look at the previous missions down to merely thousands of dollars per kilogram. If we are able to do those things successfully, we have a pretty powerful asset to work from. Let's talk brass tacks. Mm-hmm. You get to an asteroid or a spacecraft gets to an asteroid uh, that is going to mine for any number of resources. And does it reach out and touch the asteroid briefly? Are you setting up shop on the asteroid for days and weeks and months? What does mining in this context look like? I like the word harvesting. The asteroids that we've been studying are much less than a kilometer in diameter. The ones that we're pretty interested in are what you might call a rubble pile. And that's similar to if anyone's been paying attention to the asteroid Ryugu that the Japanese mission Hayabusa 2 visited and the the asteroid Bennu that OSIRIS-REx from NASA is returning from. What was perhaps surprising even to the people in those missions was how soft and uh, I guess fluffy, for lack of a better word, the material was. The spacecraft actually sank into the regolith, the surface, quite a bit farther than people had initially expected. You know, it's more of a touch and go process where you're you're not landing because the gravity is so small. So you're kind of just interacting with it and maybe touching and and getting a sample and returning. That's what the previous missions did. That is hard to scale. So if we think about finding a meaningful amount of material, we are really thinking long and hard about what would make sense if we were to visit an object like this and try to bring back hundreds or even thousands of kilograms that could be processed and turned into water or ceramics or what have you. You might go, presumably, and kiss 20 asteroids and then bring it back to a central spacecraft plant. We're not initially planning to bring any of this back to Earth. Yep. We're looking for materials that can be used in space. And as such, it probably makes the most sense, and we're still exploring this, to have a refinery platform or have something in a stationary orbit in and around the moon or the earth that can be more readily accessible by service uh, spacecraft that can be communicated with from the ground more easily. And that if there are missions or probes going out to the asteroids and returning the payload, that that's where they would bring it. Mm -hmm. And at some point, if we find the material that we like and the process that we've developed and the technology maturity to say, well, we can actually do some of this refinement at the asteroid and bring back less material that may be where we get to eventually, but that's that's a pretty challenging pathway because there's so much we don't know about this material. I mean, to hear you speak of asteroids themselves and what you know of them, and then mm-hmm. of the process to mine or harvest them, what's the difference between you right now and an eight-year-old who's sketching and dreaming up some giant spaceship, you know, it's like showing his parents, well, so th- this part of the drawing could could do this function in space. And this, in other words, it's all very blue sky at this point. And yet, of course, you hope to employ people and you've gotten this, these state incentives, but, but, but like, it just sounds not very far along, to be honest. Yeah. I love the idea of imagination, but imagination 
doesn't get you there, right? That alone. So that's where we're looking to have the rigors of technology development. I'm pretty happy to say that when it comes to things like developing, you know, small satellites, small sats, and the propulsion and the communication components, there's been a tremendous amount of progress that's been happening over the last few years. And the fact that we could, with our uh, vendors and other uh, companies, assemble a spacecraft that could go into deep space and do so fairly inexpensively is a great achievement, I think, and something that we're looking to hope to continue. So I, I actually think we as a company, but also the industry is, is probably farther along than people realize in that a lot of it is work that's happening at a, at a rapid pace uh, all around the globe. What kind of a timeline are you looking at for m- meaningful progress and maybe arriving, as I said earlier, kissing an asteroid? Well, we're talking about a matter of a few years here. So we're still working out those timelines. We have some dates internally. Where we go and how long it takes to get there depends on a lot of factors. And unfortunately, physics is really the constraining factor there. But we're talking about a a timeline of a few years here for us to have some milestone pilot mission underway and have achieved some things that we think are are major milestones for us as an organization. And I want to also just note you have the opportunity for so many young people, maybe not eight-year-olds, but maybe for a little bit further along who have actually thought about working in this industry. You know, we need more people in this pipeline. And that's the, I think going to be one of our key uh, driving factors as we pull this together. Uh, the technology, I do believe will come. Finances is always a, a challenge, but I think we'll figure that out. But if we don't find a winning combination of people, uh, I think that's where we'll really struggle. So that's, that's my big pitch is finding people who are like-minded and interested in the challenge. Thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Danan Kroll hopes to be an asteroid miner. He's moving his firm Carmen Plus to Colorado. It's one of many space resource startups setting up shop here. When we come back, we'll put this into some context. What are other sorts of companies coming here? Will they find the workforce they need, the investors? I'll speak with a professor at the School of Mines who likens this to a new gold rush. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC. Would you adopt an older dog, one with cancer in less than a year to live? A Grand Junction couple did just that. Each little thing is so precious and so cute. We feel like new parents. A storybook ending can be hard to find for older, sick dogs. But Bendu brought the gift of healing to his new owners. The Happy Family story and pictures are at CPR.org. Space exploration is more than telescopes and moon landings. It's also about resources. What's in space that can be mined or manufactured to help create settlements? That's the subject of our show today, as Colorado becomes an epicenter for this new frontier. Now, Angel Abud Madrid, who directs the Center for Space Resources at the Colorado School of Mines in Golden. Thanks for being with us again. Always a pleasure to be with you, Ryan. There's a new era of space exploration and development going on, it would seem, and Colorado has become a hub for this. Why do you think that is? We know that Colorado is already the second largest economy in the nation in aerospace. There's more like 400 companies on this because of the work that was done here very early on during the early days of the space age in the 1960s. But lately, it's been about a, a niche part of space, which is something called space resources, yeah. which is so 
much fits the history of Colorado. This is a territory, this is a state that was founded on resources. People came here in the thousands for first gold and silver, and then later on all sorts of minerals and metals, and then- Oh, this uh, is a new gold rush. It's a new gold rush, <laughs> but not here on Earth, it's in space. So Colorado has all the components. It has all the extractive industry, has the aerospace, tourism, electronics, communications. So particularly for the aerospace resources, this is a, a, a hub in, in the world on this new area. And you are, in many ways, underscoring what we heard from a company that's moving here, Mm -hmm. that they did so for the ecosystem of science, research, and business that is already on the ground. Where are these companies focused specifically? Like, where are the big projects as development continues in space? They're coming here to be part of what we call the space resources value chain. This is the same thing that happens with resources on Earth. There's a sequence. People came here looking for nuggets of gold and silver, prospecting. Uh, Later on, people came to supply those people that came here, people that sold the shovels and the picks and the food and Mm -hmm. the cloth, and later on, the whole infrastructure behind it. Same thing will be happening in space. You first have to go to the destination, could be the moon, asteroids, Mars. You need to prospect for the resource. You need to uh, drill, collect, then extract, then process, then utilize it. And then you need a whole infrastructure. You need power, you need communications, you need transport. And so these companies that are moving here to Colorado are small companies that are focusing on each individual part of this chain. 10 years ago, when the first private company started interested on space resources, they wanted to do it all have a a rocket that will go to an asteroid, uh, extract the material, process it, bring it here, sell it. They wanted to be the company town. (laughs) Yes. They wanted to be (laughs) involved in every aspect. In in every aspect of it. Uh Uh-huh. And what you're saying now is that you'll have the shovel supplier down the street, the lunar equivalent of that. What's interesting is that these companies are not necessarily competing. One will provide the material for the other one, and this will sell it to the other one. And so they all are needed for making this infrastructure in space. I can't help but think, and I reflected this in our earlier conversation, that this just reminds me of like kids with big hopes in a sandbox. In other words, given how intense the investment has to be and how much we have here on earth that is mineable Mm -hmm. and valuable, why are we doing this in space? The key thing to understand, Ryan, is this is not about going out and finding resources in space and bringing here. That doesn't make any economic sense. It's not going to happen in a long, long time. It's about, since you're going to space, might as well use the resources there for everything that you want to do. Don't bring it from Earth. It's extremely energy intensive. It's extremely expensive. Why do you want to carry your water, your oxygen, your bricks and mortars when you can actually get them where you're going? Mm -hmm. So that's the whole point. Name one other company that has become involved in this in Colorado and maybe tell us what they're up to. Boy, there's so many. I mean, I, there's probably two dozen of them. Like I mentioned, they're the space resources value chain. What is that you need to do? First, you need to get there. So transportation. Yeah. There's a company called iSpace that moved here. It's a Japanese I-Space. company. iSpace. Uh, just like iPhone. <laughs> so uh, iSpace moved here a couple of years ago. It's a Japanese company but realized that Denver was an important part of this. And the whole point for them is to have a private lunar lander to get to the moon. And they're actually right now on their way to the moon. 
They departed a couple of months ago. They will be there on April, and it will be the first, if it's successful, the first private lander on the moon. No humans aboard. No humans aboard. At this point. Yeah. Is the idea eventually to have people in this? Not necessarily. That's NASA's plan. NASA definitely wants to have humans by the end of the decade. And they have said very clearly that this time is not there for a couple of hours, that they want to have a sustained presence on the moon. And if NASA or in any other company or country, and we're talking here Russia, China, Japan, South Korea, Australia, they want to do that, if you want to have a sustained presence, you're going to have to use the resources. And so they're going to have to need not just the transportation. There's another company that is looking at prospecting that is going to be actually having a rover this year on the surface of the moon, uh, lunar outpost that is going to do that type of work. It's a Colorado company. And again, they're, they're trying to see how they can help first the agency and then later on the private sector to use these resources. Okay, so iSpace is on its way. Yes. And is this a, a fast, a slow, a medium-paced it's, mission? It's a very slow mission. I mean, you probably heard about the Artemis rocket that departed a few months ago. This is NASA's big rocket. It gets there in three days. It's quick. And that's when you want to have humans. If you want to make it in a less expensive way, oh. you take your time. So it's going to take him six months to get there. Eventually, they get there in a less expensive way, and they're going to hopefully land. Does this mean that gone are the days of the shuttle? I mean, just that it's going to be private, smaller, cheaper uh, vehicles that get stuff and people to the moon, for instance. Yes, absolutely. Yes, we have the big rocket from NASA that's going to transport people. But more and more, NASA is being relying on the private sector. Yeah. Now you have ways to transport material with different private companies to the space station. You're transporting humans right now to the space station privately. Later on, NASA, what they would like to do is we're good at rockets and exploration, but we're going to need people to help us identify the resources, collect them, give us the oxygen that we need, the water that we need, the metals that we need. That's going to have to be done privately. Okay. Very important to me that you're saying there is still identification of the resources to do. At least in the gold rush, we knew there was gold in them there hills. Yes, yes. You know, not everyone struck it rich, of course, but there was gold. It strikes me as a fool's errand to spend all of this money on resource exploration when you're not entirely sure what the resources are, Anel. <laughs> you touch on a very important point. In this field of space of resources on Earth, Mars, and any planet, you need three things. You need to identify the resource first, to know that it's, it's feasible to extract it, what's called a reserve in the oil and gas and the mining industry. You need technology to recover it, and as important, if not more important, you need a customer. You need to know that there's a demand, so then you can go ahead and do the exploration and the extraction and the like. Yeah. We are at the very first phase of each one of those. So first... Yes, we have detected certain resources from orbit by using spacecraft, but now we, we have to go down to the surface and touch it and make sure that you have how much the concentration, the amount, the distribution, so that then you can start figuring out what is the technology that you're going to need to extract it, and so that companies and governments know exactly what to rely on for their purposes. So it's all of them have to work at the same time. Now, you say governments. I'm very curious what ownership of a mineral looks like when it's on the moon. Is it on an American patch? Does it belong to the world community? Is it the, the nationality of whoever the pilot was? I mean, what, what? <laughs> you're touching on a very important point. 
not only it's important to know the science and the engineering to extract resources, you need to also know the legal aspects. The Outer Space Treaty of 1967 said very clearly, and it was signed by more than 120 countries, that no country can own a celestial body. But there's now a consensus that you're not necessarily owning the body. You're not owning the moon. You may go there, extract the resource. That resource, you may sell it, you may use it, and then leave that space. So the extraction may be allowed, but not the ownership. And that's a lot of the conversation that is going on, talking about developing a, a legal framework for space resources to know exactly how we're going to deal with this. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and there's this thing called the Artemis Accords with the United States two years ago, uh, spearheaded. It started with nine countries. Now you have more than 20 countries that are green on how we're going to do this. Why would I, as an investor, put my money in something that is so inchoate? It's just so fledgling. You'll be surprised how investors throughout history have done that. (laughs) Uh, uh, Airplanes, railroads, laser technology, biotechnology. Investors were always looking for their next thing. And space is now the next thing. They know that there's opportunity here. They just need to identify what are those companies that have a real business case. And a business case is based on what your customer is. So, yes, the government will be the first. Then the private sector will come in. And so these companies are trying to figure out at what point, yes, they're going to serve the government, but at what point can also they do this privately? Hmm. How will they be able to extract the resource that may become a propellant that you can sell to a transportation company? How can you refuel communication satellites? Those are real near-term business cases, but who knows what lies ahead. Will you tell us about honeybee industries? I mentioned how it's important to get there, how to start prospecting, like Lunar Outpost, this other company. Now you're going to start having to dig to see exactly what's underneath, because we know from uh, remote sensing what's on the surface, but what underneath? So Honeybee Robotics is a company that started in California, now has offices here, has been recently bought by Blue Origin. And now they're going to have a drill this year on the surface of the moon. Finally, we're going to go there and, and, and go deep about a meter and figure out exactly what's there. Is there water? Is there oxygen? What are the metals? What are the chances it's a nothing burger underneath? Could be. Could be. But they're not going to be the only ones. After they do that, they have plans for more. Then also there's a rover that is going to be moving around so that not only is one place, but you start now poking the surface in different places until you can characterize it. Uh, Blue Origin is sort of... Amazon. It's Jeff Bezos. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And they're here in Colorado, too. (laughs) I think before we go, we ought to talk about the workforce for all of this. I gather that that's what you are focused on in part at the School of Mines. Is there the workforce for this? And it occurs to me then that the workforce, just like that diversified chain, it's everything from line workers to attorneys, you know? (laughs) You're absolutely right. And uh, Mines is not a law school, but I, I say that as a way to illustrate the breadth of this. No, but we understand how multidisciplinary this field is. So that's why five years ago, we decided to launch the very first program in the world focused exclusively on space resources. And without knowing, the response was such that in just five years, we have around 140 students from 22 countries, from five continents. We have engineers, scientists, policy analysts, entrepreneurs, lawyers, Hmm. uh, because all of these will be needed just like on Earth. That's exactly what you're going to need in space to grow and to be uh, useful for everybody. Well, Angel, I'm always wrapped when you come on the show. Thank you so much for being with us again. It's always a pleasure to be talking about what matters to Colorado on Earth 
And in space. And in space. Colorado matters in space. Angel Abud Madrid directs the Center for Space Resources at the Colorado School of Mines. Special thanks to producer Michelle P. Fulcher for a stellar or interstellar show today. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with Colorado Matters from listener-supported CPR News and KRCC. (laughs) 